It is a joy to be with you here this morning. Um, I do know Chris pretty well. Sharing an office space with him or next to him for eight eight years approximately. So um, what an exciting time it is. Greetings from Covenant Prez as uh, we come and worship here together. Uh, I'm excited what God is doing in this church. Uh, honored that he has uh, just blessed our church through you all. And so we continue to pray and lift you up in our services. And I pray that you would... Uh, see God's grace and mercy flow from you even more, uh, even as we speak this week. Uh, today's passage, we're coming and we're building along in the book of Ephesians, and we're working through Ephesians 5, the first 20 verses. So I want to uh, set some things up for you a little bit. I don't know if you ever grew up um, looking at these little cards. I remember them, or recall them in elementary school, and it would be like these white cards with these black splotches on them. And perhaps maybe even psychologists used them back in the day, or perhaps they even do to now, of having us discern what do we see when we initially see those black shapes on a white card. You know the one I'm talking about where you look at it, and at first glance it's two candlesticks, but then when you kind of step back, you're like, oh, those are two faces. Oh, I see that there's two faces now that I'm looking at. And whatever side you first initially begun to see, now you're confused. And, and do I see the candlestick first? Do I see the two faces first? There's little cards like this in various settings that we approach and we kind of are confused as what are they really saying? And what that I see, what does that say about me as a person? Am I extroverted or introverted? Do I see things perceptively or intuitively? Do I see things realistically? Or do I have a small glimmer of hope always in my eyes? These are some things we wrestle with. But maybe even let's look at marketing. Um, the Federal Express, FedEx. Uh, I grew up um, knowing what FedEx looked, knowing their logo. I could see it in my mind. And it just F-E-D-E-X. It wasn't until about six years ago, my wife, after spending some time in Memphis, she said, do you ever notice there's an arrow between the E and the X in FedEx? I was like, you're kidding me. No, there's, there's no arrow. Walks me out and see a truck, and lo and behold, between the E and the X, there's an arrow. Well, what is that conveying? And now every time I see the FedEx truck, I can't not see that arrow. Are they communicating and marketing that they're moving forward? They're a vision company. They're, they're taking your packages where they need to be. You see, I, I looked at that sign for years and years and never saw that, and now I can't see anything but that. Well, today I want to look at some things in the gospel and through Paul's letter to Ephesians 5, that I think will help set that up for us. If you will stand as we read God's word. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 20. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us an understanding, a deep understanding of your grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would leave here transformed people. You would change us that come with burdens, Lord, and leaving with the freedom that you have in Christ. It's your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, just like those FedEx trucks or those splotchy cards that you looked at and could see the faces of the candlesticks, what were your eyes immediately drawn to in this text? Where did your heart go? I know for me, if you're like me, you immediately start running to the things of what we need to be doing. We need to imitate Christ. That's a big, big request. We are to walk in love. We are to walk as children of light. We are to not do this. Do not do this. If you're like me, your heart naturally clings to the things of do's and don'ts. I think we like that. We are all naturally legalists at mind. Give us a task to do, and I shall perform that well or not well, and then judge me accordingly. That's the way all of life is. It's meritorious in what we do. From your school to your job, the very things that are the heart of your everyday life, if you succeed and do well, you're rewarded for that either by pay or by scholarship or by an A on your paper, whatever that might be, we love having things boiled down to a check. Well, I want you to be really wrestling with this text today because it's it's an unwise way to approach God's Scripture. It's an unwise way to look at this as a list of rules and things we need to do. And there are some things that we need to wrestle with and struggle with in Ephesians 5. But I want you to not miss the point that you are a child of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's start there. Because the rest of this passage is just moralism if you leave this part out. And the last thing that I ever desire for this church or any other church is to be just good. Because being just good is not good enough. We have to drive to the heart of the gospel of what it is saying. And I know you've worked through the book of Ephesians and you, you grasp or are beginning to grasp 
Ephesians 1 through 3 give us an understanding of who God is and electing us and calling us and our, our righteousness found in Him. And then chapters 4 to 6 kind of bring us and usher us into, well, what's next? Give us some practicality how we live these things out. But to get to the how-to, you always have to be reminded of who you are. And if you're getting the same message every week over and over about the gospel that you were a broken sinner in desperate need of rescue and redemption, that's a good message to hear week in and week out. All of us need to hear that. Because we, as children of God, are declared righteous. And we are loved by Him. John 17, verse 23, Jesus' high priestly prayer to God, He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. God loves you with the same love that he has for his son, Jesus Christ. God sees you in the same light that he sees in Jesus Christ. That perfect relationship in the Trinity that God has between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, he sees you in that light through Christ. Do you even grasp that? Can you grasp that you are loved, not based on what you do, but based on who you are through Christ Jesus? As a parent of two small children, I have to give a caveat. My, my book's being aligned and straightened uh, is an idolatrous issue with me. But with two two-year-olds, that's pretty much gone out the window. I had to die to those things. Because uh, when they come to my office, there's not a book that's left untouched. But I have one child that's adopted, and I have one child that's biological. They're both in two years old. But the reaction and the way they respond and the way they need and receive love are vastly different. And our prayer is that they merge more and more alike. But if you were to go to our home and have a meal with us, you would see things play out with Britton, our biological son, and Lee Kate, our adopted daughter, very differently. Britain expects things. He demands things based on who I am. I'm your son. I want food. I will make sure your attention is drawn to me. And if I don't get it, I will make sure you're aware of those things. He demands it. He puts his foot down. He knows how to hit our buttons there. Lee Kate, on the other hand, we've only had her for less than a year. She is still driven and geared towards clinging and hoping that we still will never leave her. This plays itself out at nighttime. Britain is one of the best sleepers you could ever imagine. Ten hours at night, four-hour naps still, and he's almost three. It's wonderful. He came to the exact opposite. She hates going to sleep because sleep is a time of fear. Sleep is not a time of rest. Sleep is a time when the, the nannies in the orphanage would change. Sleep is a time when she was left on the corner of a street. Sleep is a time where I don't know what darkness holds next for me. And you see how those two understandings shape a lot of who they are. One great question to ask for you today is, do you see yourself as an orphan? Or do you see yourself as an adopted child of God? Adoption plays strongly into the heart and the way you live out the Christian life. Paul opens up verses 1 through 20 in chapter 5 with this kind of bookend remark. That you are a beloved child. And then he closes it with God the Father. 
God being our Father is a New Testament understanding. If you look through the Old Testament, the word Father is not typically used in our relationship with God, but just in our biological relationships, but in a genealogical sense. This guy beget this guy, beget this guy, this is his father. But to see God as Father, Christ sheds light upon this relationship. Because I don't want now these next verses that we're going to enter into, it's not just a code of ethics. It's not just morality. If we don't have verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 20, make us just like any moralistic cult that follows and works through goodness. There are a lot of people that are moral that don't have a grasp of who they are in the gospel. And the ongoing excuse me, failure in growing in your Christian life, what we call sanctification, moving into Christ's likeness, is a direct result of failing to remember who you are in God's love in the gospel. That's why Paul speaks so clearly of these things, because all these things we're going to look at are a distortion of understanding your love in the gospel. All these things are. And so when we look at sexual immorality, when we look at covetousness, those things are deviations from understanding who you are, that you are loved. Because when you feel unloved, you begin to hate, you begin to want other things, and you begin to relish in the pain and suffering of others, and you begin to despise the joy of others. It's at that place where you have to really step back and say, God, Help me to grasp again who I am in you and not who I am based on what I do. There is a distinct difference. Paul is borrowing some language here as we need to again kind of set our text in the framework of God's holy word. As I said, the fatherhood is a New Testament idea. But the understanding of being adopted children, loved by him, that God is doing a work in our hearts compelling us to do the very things he's called us to do is, is rooted all through Scripture. From Deuteronomy chapter 30 to Deuteronomy chapter 5 to Genesis 3 to Ezekiel 36. Listen to these words. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I, this is God speaking, will sprinkle clean water on you and shall be clean from all your uncleanlessness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Our obedience is precluded by our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. With the Holy Spirit working that throughout our lives. Our obedience does not beget the relationship. But everything that we are taught, everything in society, everything that you are geared towards says, I must be a certain way for God to love and for God to accept me. That's just not the Bible. That's just not the gospel. Your obedience flows from who you are. The relationship allows you to obey. We have to be broken of that standard mindset that is uttered so often in our churches, in our schools, in our workplaces. 
obey because of who you are. You obey because you love your Father. That's why we move towards these next sections. Our item two before we get into is another big issue. Be imitators of God. What does that mean? How, how am I supposed to imitate God? Do we say, what would Jesus do? Do we wear the bracelets of black, red, and yellow? And is that all we need to do? And just think in our head, what would Jesus do? Um, I, think that's a, I don't think that's exactly what Scripture is saying here. It means to mimic him and reflect him. I mean, that's where we get this word, to mimic somebody, to model yourself. We are part of God's family. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. These are, these are family issues that we're, we're wrestling through. And you never know how susceptible you are to being mimicked until you are around small children. If you are a teacher, if you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, you recognize very quickly the things you say can be used against you. It may not even be in a conversation that you're having with your child. If they overhear a certain phrase, it's out there. And now they're working with how to communicate that and say that, not knowing the intentionality or what the ramifications of what they are saying. Again, having two two-year-olds, I'm having to be very aware of the language I use, of the words I express, both to my wife, both while watching football, all those things that just tend to come out of me. We are working through the book of James uh, on Wednesday nights in our church. And we just finished chapter 3. And I, I did not preach on James chapter 3, but it is an issue of the tongue. And what flows from the heart comes out through your tongue. And the minister that was preaching there said something that was striking to me. Because I've actually gone through this in my head. He said, what you say is really in your heart. We have a tendency to say in our relationships, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean that. Specifically in a relationship with your spouse. Because you say things often that you wish you had the rope to pull back in. And he said, that's not gospel. Gospel is saying, you know what? I need to repent of saying what I meant. Because what I said right then, I really did mean it. It was in my heart, or it wouldn't have come out. And I have got to begin to learn and repent of those things that are in me and focus on Christ. And why did I even think that? It's a distortion of who I am, loved by God. And when we distort that, when we lose sight of that, everything becomes skewed. We don't have the ability and the vision to see how God has created that other person working in our lives. I don't know if that's striking to you, but for me, in my heart, it was something I needed to hear. Because even in those times when my tongue slips, my children mimic. It's, it's ooh, I, I didn't like that. I hope that that's not something that they keep. But our children mimic us. Why? Because they look up to us. They honor us. And we have to be able to pattern that for them. As God has patterned for us what we are to mimic. Now, from a, a step back, I'm going to use a big word. There are communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you know anything about being sick, if you have a communicable disease, it's something that's contagious. Be careful. Stay at home. Don't come to work that day. If it's incommunicable, it's, it's not going to be translated or breathed or sprayed upon somebody. But there are things that God has communicable attributes that we share in. Love, mercy, 
justice, goodness. Those are the very things that God is speaking to us and saying, reflect these things in the people you interact with. God's not calling us to be omnipresent, omniscient, omni, omni, omni something. He's saying, love people. I'm a God of love. Show mercy to those who need mercy. Mimic the very things that God is. And I pray that you see that in your lives. I use the illustration of children because it's something that's real. And you, you know how you speak to your children. You, you pretend they're older than they are. Again, you don't have to have children. You visit your brother, you visit your uncle, and they have little kids. And you speak to them in words at, at the age of six months. You basically carry on a conversation with them, knowing that they really can't understand, but you're pretending they understand. Oh, you do want something to eat? Do you want something green? Do you want some juice? Knowing that they can't respond, but we, we, we tend to pretend they're older. God does the same thing with us. I hate to use the word pretend, but he pretends you are Jesus. In the sense that God did through Jesus Christ what you cannot do. And now God pretends he sees Jesus when he sees you. He loves you. And you're declared righteous because of his love for you. That's big because we, we sin, tend to sit in our sin. Now let's move here. We, we've looked at we're a child of God. We've looked at being imitating imitators of God. But now let's go to these divine imperatives. This is where it becomes difficult. But sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, they must not even be named among you. What is God saying in these areas? Between sexual immorality and impurity, it pretty much encompasses all the sin things. Everything is related to sin. It's saying, flee from them. Don't surround yourself with them. In my job, um, I do a lot of counseling. And I wouldn't say I'm good at it. I just, as a pastor, you get a lot of calls about doing counseling. And in my job, I do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the things I speak to men and women and couples about is the issue of sexual impurities and immorality. Because there is never... Ever, ever a couple that comes to me and says, I think we're really going to struggle with adultery. I really think this is going to be a problem for us in our marriage. Now, what they come with is they come with, yeah, I don't think we're going to have any issues. Well, what's some things you'd like to see different about your partner? There's not really anything. I love my partner. I can't wait to be with him every day. I'm like, wow, let's have this meeting in about six months, and we'll, we'll see that list switch. But I say this because... We sometimes forget that we are all susceptible to all sin. And any time you as a husband or you as a wife feel like you are not susceptible to a specific sin, even let's keeping in line with these areas of sexual sins, that is Satan's first foot in the door. I spent many years in the business world before I came into ministry in sales. I had a lot of travel meetings. My partner, um, my business partner was a woman that was married. I didn't even think about those things. We, we traveled together. We rode together. We flew together. We had meals together. It didn't even strike me that there could possibly be an issue that was not wise in that relationship. 
Because what happens when you feel, I'm not susceptible to those sins? What do you do? You put yourself in positions that is a very unwise place. I don't struggle with adultery. I have no problem going to dinner with this, this woman. We have a great conversation. It's, it's a lot of fun. But after perhaps several times doing this, perhaps your relationship with your spouse is a little strained that week. Perhaps they literally didn't hear all the struggles you're frustrated with. And at this meal in particular, they actually listen to you. How sweet was it to have somebody of the opposite sex actually hear what you're struggling with? It felt so good. Now, as opposed to just having a meal together over business, you, you kind of look forward to having that meal next week. It's kind of a time where you get to interact and share what's on your heart. It's a very unwise place to be. Don't ever feel that you're not susceptible to any sin. We have to flee and pray from it. I believe this is where Paul is working here. He's saying, let it not be among you. Don't even go near it. Don't feel that you are above certain things. Because you know what? You're not. You're just not. The very men that we revere and look at is from a pulpit's perspective. How many churches have crumbled because of pastors making unwise decisions? It's an error of understanding who you are. We have to recognize that, yes, we are children of God, but we, yes, we are still wrestling with sin. I pray that if you leave here this morning, that's something you wrestle with. I love the language that Paul uses here. What does he say in verses 14? Awake, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, we have a tendency. Paul here is speaking to the church. He is speaking to those that have been called to him. And he's saying, wake up! Quit putting yourself in a place where you start lusting and loving others. In a way that's deviant. Because that is what it is. Covetousness is just, ah, I really struggle with what God is providing for me. I wish he provided for me like he does that person. I don't know if God loves me, but if he had that in my home, I just feel like I'd have a stronger relationship. It seems so trite. It seems so simple. But is that not what we we wrestle with? For your own heart, for your own thinking, what is the initial reaction for you when others receive blessings? You kind of cringe, gosh, again? Are you able to rejoice and be thankful for how God is working out his story of redemption in other people's lives? It's a great indicator for where your heart is. I don't want to be here dissuading God's calling on your life or causing a false assurance. My heart and hope is that as you hear these words, it pricks your hearts. It reveals sin in your heart. You can say, oh Lord, I'm a sinner in desperate, desperate need of your grace this morning. I'm never, ever beyond or above that. Please flee those things. Paul writes through all of his letters a continual, uh, kind of a circular fashion of getting back to the heart of the gospel. 
wherever he is in Philippi or Ephesus or Corinth, whatever church he's dealing with, he recognizes their susceptibility to sin. And oftentimes he closes letters with this, remember the gospel. Remember who we are. You see, this is just, I mean, we're within 50 years of Jesus being here, and already the church is struggling and wrestling with some hard things. And I appreciate how he does in 1 Corinthians 15 as he wraps up these things. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Paul is saying, all these things I'm speaking to you, you have to get back to the understanding of the basics of the gospel. It's not just something we use in evangelism. But you as a believer, whether you became a Christian last week, whether you became a Christian 20 years ago, have to be reminded of the gospel every day. That you are broken outside of Christ. That you are in desperate need of Him. That you cannot parent. You cannot work. You cannot do the very things, the basics of the gospel outside of the Holy Spirit working inside your life. Oh, you may be able to do them in a worldly perspective, but they're of no value. Paul says, all my boasting is of rubbish in and of itself. But through Christ, the gospel is made pure and worthy. I pray today that those things are moved in your heart. Let's look here again at the the closing here of these verses. Paul does a unique way of closing Ephesians 5 here before we get into the understandings of marriage. He says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a thankful person? Do you have the ability to see God working himself out in your life? Do you have the ability to treasure the very things he is working through, even in suffering? Would you consider yourself a thankful person? I think this is one thing that has got to be on Chris's and Lanier's hearts. That they're not here for entertainment purposes. They're not here for great lectures. But they are here to move you forward in the gospel. That each week you can be reminded of who you are, flow with you to repentance, and then be grateful and joyful of the work God's doing in you. I pray that this morning you leave here thankful that you are a child of His. Thankful that God is blessing those around you. And thankful that He's called you to a place where you can see the gospel lived out through you to others. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I wrestle with this text. Lord, I am often slipping into the realm of my failures or my successes. Lord, I pray that you would remove the do's and the do nots from my understanding. And help me to grasp who I am. Lord, may we not leave here without understanding a grasp of our desperate need for you. Lord, remind us of the Lord's Supper this morning. 
that we are loved children. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.